in high school, um, I played football and our coaches every year at the beginning of the year would give us a playbook, this Y3 spiral ring notebook um, with all the plays in it for the year. And so they'd sit us down in front of this big giant whiteboard and they would walk us through the formations and they would walk us through the plays and they would give us the names of the plays. And they gave them, they gave us these books so that we could play the game, right? Like the purposes of, of them giving us the playbooks was for us to play the game. You know, if we took the books home and we read them and we knew them, but we never showed up on Friday nights, like never put the helmets on, never put the cleats on, we never stepped foot out on the field, we would be missing it. This morning, one of my favorite stories we're gonna be talking about this morning. I love chapters three and four of the book of Acts because essentially it's just a group of people, just like you and me, just ordinary people that knew they were loved by God and who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Like sometimes we read stories like this and we think that there's something so different about them. It's a people just like you and me gathered in a room just like this. Knew they were loved by God and filled by the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at three different stories this morning in Acts chapter three and four. We're gonna read a whole lot and I just encourage you to read along with us or just pay attention however you do that best. But I wanna give us three different pictures that we see in Acts chapter three that gives us a, an insight into the, the lives, the, the way that these people lived, the things that defined them, the things that they cared about, the ways that they walked. And so if you're a note taker, write down these three things. If you're not, you don't have to be a note taker. Um, but just kind of give us some structure for where we're going this morning. They were compassionate, they were courageous, they were committed. They were compassionate, they were courageous, they were committed. Look at Acts chapter three, starting at verse one. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every single day to beg from those going to the temple courts. And so I was reading that this week and just doing a little research and I realized that in the first century, like when this story happened, first was written, um, this was how life worked for people with disabilities. And so they didn't have physical therapists and occupational therapists that um, could teach you different trades. Like if, if you couldn't walk, if you didn't have use of your hands, you couldn't go out in the fields with the men. This was your case if you were a lady, you, you couldn't take care of the kids. And so what your family or your friends would do every day, they would pick you up from your bed and they would literally just kind of take you on and put you on a sidewalk where you would just beg for, for money, for food. I started thinking about this particular man, his, situa his situation. I thought about how interesting it was that he was put like right outside the temple. started to think, I wonder if this man ever started to believe as he watched people every day go in and out of the temple. I wonder if he ever started to believe that God was for others, that God loved other people. I wonder if he ever wrestled with if, if God could love him. I wonder if he ever like asked the question, man, why do my family and friends always put me right outside the temple? Why don't they like bring me in the church? It'd be so strange like every week to be sitting right outside Marathon 
And to hear us singing and to hear us talking about breaking bread and to hear us proclaiming the goodness and the realness of Jesus and to, to, to walk out of here and see us full of joy and life and peace because we've encountered God, wouldn't it be incredibly heartbreaking to be right outside the door? To think that God was always just for somebody else but he can never be for me? Verse 3. When the lame man saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And I just thought about the power in this moment, like just to stop and to notice people. There's something about that word and it just like hit my heart this week that, that they looked at him, like they looked him in his eyes. You know, we live in a world that is full of hurting people. And I'm sure if we had time, we could go around the room and all of us, man, we, we just have stuff that's going on in our personal lives, in our family or in our friend groups or with our kids. Like all of us, man, we're all just shouldering so much pain and suffering. If we're not there right now, we will. A couple weeks ago, I was in Walmart and just asked, just kind of walking by and asked this lady how she was doing. And she was like shocked that I noticed her, that I even asked her how she was doing. I'm like, have you never heard words before? Like it's, she was appalled. And it just hit me as I was going to my truck. I'm like, why did that like shake her up so much? And it just hit me because like we live such like self-absorbed lives. That it's so easy just to like keep your eyes on the ground and to think about our problems and our issues and the things that are consuming us. And there's something so powerful, so beautiful, just so simple about just noticing somebody else. Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. Cared enough to like notice this man, his situation. To like step into his struggles, his pain. Verse, verse six, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I encourage you guys to go back and to read the book of Matthew sometime over the next week or two. Because there's so much about Peter's life that we miss out on when we just jump into Acts chapter three. He has this amazing story, a story that I just connect so well with. Peter knew that Jesus loved him. Peter knew that Jesus loved him. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is this story that's documented for us in John chapter 21 where Peter, he grew up this good old church boy where he, he went to church and he loved the Lord and he was at church every Sunday. He walked with Jesus and then there, he had this moment, he had this sin that like came into his life that just sent him spiraling away from God. 
And he woke up one morning and he realized that, that he had done the very thing that he thought he would never do. And so literally, like he had quit following Jesus. He'd gone back to his old way of life, his old way of living. And I love John chapter 21 because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, goes to Peter in the middle of his sin, in the middle of his confusion, and he puts his hands on his shoulders and says, I forgive you. Now come back. Come back on my team. And there's something about that moment where Peter saw that Jesus didn't just love him when he was like on his game. That Jesus like loved him. In all of his sin and all of his falling. And to Peter, Jesus was everything. Jesus was his friend. He was his savior his forgiver, his Lord. Jesus wasn't just some historical figure and he wasn't just some person that was written about in a book. He knew Jesus. Like so many of us. Peter knew that the Holy Spirit of God was inside of him. If you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, listen to me, you have the Holy Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit of God. It is a gift from God. When you align your life with the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And I love it because in Acts chapter three, Peter understood that in this moment, this lame man was meeting God because God was in him. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. Peter was not God. When you and I become Christians, we don't become gods. We don't become God. But in a very real way, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. I was thinking about how in this moment, Peter understood the, the weight of what was happening. You know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, do we live with that same mentality, that same understanding? That like when people meet us, they're like in a sense, they're like meeting God. I think for too long in my life, I've treated the Holy Spirit like he's some JV version of God, like he's the backup quarterback. The Holy Spirit is, is God. And he dwells inside of us. And I go, how does that change the way that we interact with people? When we like interact with our kids and when we interact with our coworkers, when we pass people on the sidewalks on the way to work or on the way to lunch or on the way to coffee, how does it change our mindset when we see people and go, man, they're gonna meet God because God is alive in me. Peter calls on the name of Jesus. And Jesus heals this guy. This guy who's been lame ever since he was born, he's 40 years old. You think about the audacity in this moment to tell this man to stand up? Like, let's just put this in our context. If, if someone that you know has been in a wheelchair their entire life, never been able to work, has, has sat outside a marathon every Sunday, and we walk by one day and, we, and, and someone asks us for money and we say, we don't have any money, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. It's crazy because this guy didn't ask to be healed. You think about all the things that Peter had to lose in this. Like, what if Jesus doesn't come through for him? 
What if he, he reaches out his hands and he helps this guy up and he falls on his face because his legs are the same weak legs that have always been. But there's something about Jesus alive inside of Peter that he knew that this guy was going to be healed. I love it. This man who spent his entire life just outside of church, did you notice what it said happened to him after he became healed? He came into the building where the people of God, where, where God was. He was rejoicing and he was praising and there was something about Peter and John that got to facilitate this guy stepping from this place just outside the reach of God to in this place of, of, of stepping into this encounter with God only because they stopped to notice because they were compassionate. But it wasn't that they, that they were just compassionate, they were courageous. Flip with me to Acts chapter four, starting in verse one. says the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead so they seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day but many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and the other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Skip down to verse 12. For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Notice something this week in the story that I've never noticed before. Matthew chapter 26, verse 57, it tells us that Caiaphas just seven weeks earlier had been standing face to face with Jesus Christ like he had looked Jesus in the eyes just like we're looking at each other in the eyes right now. And he asked Jesus this question. He says, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, I am the son of God who has come to save the world. And Caiaphas tears his robe because he goes, this is blasphemy, you're not God. And Caiaphas was the one that said about the events for Jesus to be crucified on a cross. What's so crazy is that seven weeks after Jesus had stood face to face with Caiaphas, Peter and John stand face to face with the same man. The courage they had in this moment. What if their fate was just like Jesus's? What if Caiaphas did to them what he did to Jesus? Like they were, we don't understand the, the weight of this moment. I thought it was so beautiful this week. It just kind of hit me. The pursuit of God for our hearts is unbelievable. God loves us so much all of us, 
And this is what's so crazy that, that Caiaphas was the one that, that killed God the Father's son, Jesus. And how does the father respond to that? He sends Peter and John right into his face to keep testifying. Why? Because the father wants Caiaphas to know him. You know, it hit me this week. My son is three and a half months old. My wife, Court's holding him right now. And if you killed my son, if, if you were the instigator that, that took him from me, that, that cost me my, my, my son, the last thing I would want is to be friends with you. The last thing that I would do is, is to, to go after you looking for friendship. I would never invite you over to my house and, and cook food for you and make a cup of coffee for you. I wouldn't want to, want to see your face. And yet the Father is so different. That God the Father looks at Caiaphas and says, man, you're my son. And you see the extreme measures that God takes to bring people home. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you realize, do we understand that the reason that Jesus came to earth was to forgive us of our sins, not to condemn us? John chapter three, verse 16, it might be the most quoted Bible verse and it's so beautiful. It just reveals the heart of the gospel that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who believes that he came and died, that person will not taste death, but will live eternally with God forever and ever and ever. And the very next verse is just as powerful. For God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world, but to what? To save it. I think so often we get this backwards. And the world convinces us that, that Jesus is just some great moral teacher. No, Jesus was the only hope of the world. He is the only hope of the world. The name Jesus, it means the Lord saves. And in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, there was a prophecy that Jesus would save his people from their sins. And I go, do we understand how much God loves us? How intent he is on saving us? I wish I had time and, and maybe I will if we getting, keep getting to live in the same city and keep being a part of the same church. Maybe I'll get to know some of your stories. I don't know all your stories. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the, the rebellion and the sin and the things that, but all of us are in that boat. And God is like making his appeal to us. Acts chapter four, verse 12. You must turn to Jesus. You must turn to Jesus. You must turn to Jesus. He's like saying, I, I, I sent Jesus to save you and to forgive you and to include you. John chapter 17, right before Jesus was crucified, he prays this beautiful prayer to the Father. and He says, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory, the glory that you gave me before the world began. Do you know what he's saying in that moment? He says he wants us to be with him forever and ever and ever in heaven. Jesus Christ, the King of heaven, wants you and me to be with him. God is making his appeal. 
Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Peter and John are inviting Caiaphas, this man who killed God's own son. And he's inviting us into deeper knowledge and understanding of his love. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled ordinary men, it doesn't mean that they were illiterate or ignorant. It doesn't mean that they couldn't read or write. In fact, Peter and John both went on to write books in the Bible. It means that they hadn't been to seminary. It means that, that they didn't have the Bible memorized, that, that they weren't experts in things of God. It, it, it means that they were ordinary people just like you and me. And it says that the high priests, these religious police, says they were astonished, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I go, is there a better compliment that you could pay? Like what if people, when they looked at us, that's what they thought. Like when they looked at you, Colton, what if like what people thought of is, that man's been with Jesus. Like how different would we be? Like Aaron, if that was the only way that, that people recognized, like, oh man, he's been with Jesus. I go, I want that for for our church and for our lives that when people look at us, this is what happened in, in Exodus chapter 20 when, when Moses, he, he has this moment where he encounters God he, and he comes down from the mountain and three million people see that his face is radiant, that he's been in the presence of God and the, the people took note that he'd been with God. I go, man, do people notice? Are we anything like this? Verse 14 says they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered Peter and John to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these guys? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is just so absurd that these men had literally, like, they knew this guy. They'd walked past him every day on the way to temple. It wasn't like he was some stranger. They knew his face. They recognized his begging voice. They knew that he'd seen every doctor, that nothing could be done, and that miraculously this guy had been healed. Peter and John tell them that it's Jesus that healed him. And these guys refused to believe. They refused to believe in Jesus. They refused to believe that, that God still had power in our world to do things like this. You know, as fathers of Jesus, we can't make people believe that God loves them. We can't convince people that Jesus is alive, that he's come to save us, that he alone is the hope of the world. And that's not our job. Our job is to be courageous. That when our bosses and our coworkers and our friends and our professors who don't believe in Jesus, they ask us about why we believe, 
We don't cower in that moment. We, we step up and we're courageous for Jesus. We go, man, we, we know that he's alive. We know that he loves us. We know that he's forgiven us. And we tell them. We tell them in love, not being jerks. But we tell them why we have hope in God. We tell them how we know that Jesus is not just some historical figure written about 2,000 years ago, but that he's alive and that he loves us. We tell them. These early Christians were marked with their compassion. They were marked with courage, but they were also marked with commitment. I love verse 18. Chapter 4 still, it says, Then they called Peter and John in again. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. No more sermons, no more healings. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you? But to listen to God, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love that word. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let Peter and John go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for the man who had been healed. For he had been healed, he was over 40 years old. So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when the other Christians heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this was their prayer, Sovereign Lord, you alone made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. This is our prayer. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, listen to this. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. What I think is so beautiful about these Christians is that they were committed to the world. that they cared about people who didn't know Jesus. That their hearts were broken at the thought of, of lost people. And so listen to their prayers, it was so beautiful, it's so powerful, they said, they go, God, what this world needs is to know Jesus. They don't need more books and better sermons and Jesus fish bumper stickers on the back of cars. What they need is you. They go, God, what this world needs, what people who have no hope, who, who don't know Jesus, who think that, that Jesus has come to condemn them, what they need is you. And God, will you allow us to be a part of the solution? Empower us to speak your word boldly so that people can hear about Jesus Christ, the risen King, the only hope of the world, and believe God empower us. They cared about the world. They weren't under the impression that, that church was about just what happened on an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. These Christians knew that, that gathering, 
and breaking the bread and singing and being together was important. But their hearts broke for lost people. They said, God, would you use us? But it wasn't that their hearts just broke for lost people, man. Their, their hearts, man, they were, they were committed to each other. So read in verse 32 where it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or homes sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I love that it says that they were one in heart and mind. It means that they, they cared about each other as much as they cared about themselves. It says that, that literally like they sold homes. They sold their extra guitars, their extra car. They sold their clothes to take care of needy people in their midst. I don't know if you're like me, man, but I read this and I go, I want this to be descriptive of my life. I want this to be descriptive of our church. That when the world looks at us, they see something so different, so beautiful, so unnatural. I was thinking about this week, God just kind of was taking me on an adventure. I was thinking about the Garden of Eden. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. This is the, the very first people that were created. Their names were Adam and Eve. And I was looking at their lives. And kind of the way that they thought, the way that they spent their days. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the first human beings, man, were, were self-seeking. They thought life was all about them. And so God had created this amazing world and he filled it with fruit and vegetables and, and berries and nuts and all these amazing things. And he said, you can eat anything you want. Imagine like walking into Whole Foods, take anything you want. But don't eat from this one tree. If you eat from this tree, you will die. Satan comes in the picture. Adam and Eve are alone one day. Satan starts speaking to them, as crafty as always, as he always is, as he still is. He says, you're not going to die when you eat the fruit. God knows that when you eat the fruit, you're going to be like God. And so Adam and Eve, they hear that just like every single one of us have. They go, I would love for the world to revolve around me. I would love for, for everything to be about me. And so they take the fruit and they eat it. And you know what happened in that moment? As soon as they ate the fruit, they sinned against God. They did what is so natural for people. They hid. They were scared of God. 
This is what so many of us do, right? When we sin, we get caught up in, in things that we never thought we'd do. We think God is out to get us and so we hide. And so we quit going to church and we disconnect from our house churches and we cut all of our friends out of our lives. We no longer stop answering. We no longer keep answering phone calls. We, we, we hide from God. And then we do what is natural. We start blaming other people. It's their fault. It's their fault. Courtney and I do this all the time. We blame each other. And this is what life is like before Jesus showed up. But there's incredible hope because Jesus Christ showed up and he lived a real life and he died a real death and he came back to life and he is in heaven and he is waiting for us. He is preparing a place for us. He's going to come back for us to take us to be with him where we will see him. Our faith will become sight. We will never be driven away from him. And Jesus Christ came so that we can move from being a broken community to being a beautiful one. To instead of being a bunch of individuals about ourselves, trying to make the world revolve around us, we start to care about other people sitting right next to us as much as we care about ourselves. That we become a people that is compassionate, that we notice people on the side of the street, that we notice our coworkers, that when we see people hurting, we care and we press in and we ask them questions, we invite them to church and we pray for them. We are compassionate people. And when we sin, we don't hide from God. We don't hide from each other. Man, we, we drag that sin into the light. And I love this about our church. There's such a healthy culture of, of confession here. And none of us are perfect. Christ calls us to continually confess and to repent, confess and repent, confess and repent. And, and we do this as a church. That we take communion every week and, and we gather and we break the bread and we confess where we failed and we trust that the goodness and the realness and the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. Because we don't, leave, we don't live in fear. We don't live hiding from God. Jesus Christ has taken away the sin of the world. He has come not to condemn us but to save us. And I go, we all want this community, Right? Who doesn't want to be compassionate and courageous and committed to lost people and committed to each other? So how do we step deeper into this life? You know, we don't do it by trying harder and on our own effort. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter just says, Repent and turn to God so that your sins will be forgiven and that you may enjoy times of refreshing from God. When we turn to God, this is what he does to us. When we like really submit our lives to following Jesus and go, God, I, I know that, that my life is not about me. My life is best lived when I'm living for you, following you. He makes us into compassionate and courageous and committed people. And I love that because this kind of community, this beautiful community is breaking into our community. And I see this springing up all over the place. There was a guy who was at the nine o'clock service. I had coffee with him a couple weeks ago and he and I were sitting down and he was telling me about how his job just kind of got restructured and he has inherited a whole lot more vacation days. And so he said what he's going to do is once a week, he's going to start using his vacation, sorry, once a month, he's going to start using his vacation days. He's been doing this to, to come to work, like to, to come to downtown Nashville and to spend the whole day just walking around asking God, God, who can I serve today? 
I met with him last Thursday and he spent the whole day doing that. And I'm like, so what'd you do? He's like, well, I, I got to downtown Nashville and I just asked God what you want me to do today. And so I, I noticed that this guy was sleeping on the bench. And so I just asked God what I need to do. And, and I felt like God was just saying, he's probably hungry, so go get him some food. It's like, so I went to Dunkin' Donuts and I bought this guy some donuts and he was awake when I got back. And so I just asked him if he was hungry and he said, yes. And he said, can I sit down and eat with you? And so he said, so I sat down for the next little bit and just got to know this guy's story. And he said, you'd be amazed at what people have been through, Brandon. When you take the time just to sit down and notice people. Compassion is springing up in our church. The Holy Spirit is accomplishing this. Not just in Peter and John, not just in these super apostles and ordinary people like me and you. I love how courage is springing up all in our church. Every week I talk to people in our church that have invited a friend to come to church and their friend came with them. Or they invited a coworker who's never come to church, who's been so burned by Christians and yet they came with them and they have been praying for their neighbors and they went next door and they invited their neighbors to come over for supper. And, and it's just like, I see this springing up all around us. That so many like of us, our, our faith is not limited to this building, to our time together on Sundays, but we understand that it's about walking, being courageous. God's making us more committed to each other. The guy who's preaching at the cannery right now, Jared King, a couple years ago, his car broke down, didn't have the money to fix it. So a guy in our church who's a fantastic mechanic brought his car into his own garage and spent his nights and weekends fixing this guy's car free of charge. Caring about people. Every year, I remember last year on our birthday, we, we challenged our church to, to give joyfully and generously. Go, man, how much money can we give away? On Easter Sunday, as a church, we gave away $83,000 to feeding hungry people, building clean water wells, advancing the kingdom of God here in Nashville and all over the world. You guys are being committed. And there's something about this life that, that God is going, there's more, there's more, there's more. This is where I want us to end this morning. By just asking you this simple question. Do you understand how much God loves you? Like, do you really understand how much he loves you? It's not just a feeling and it's not just a story. Like, it is real. Jesus Christ is alive and well and he came to save you, not to condemn you. Some of you, you really relate to the man that like has spent the majority of his life thinking that God was for other people but that God can never be for you. If you've ever thought that you didn't belong, that God could not love someone like you, turn to Jesus and let him show you otherwise. Here in just a minute, we're gonna stand up and take communion we have some men and women that every week go to the red respond banner from our, our team, from our staff. And we would love to, to pray and talk and help you figure out what it looks like to, to fully turn your life over to God, to turn to Him.
And for the rest of us, man, I want to ask you this question. Where do you need God to keep growing you? Where do you need God to keep growing you? So you're growing in compassion and courage and commitment. We don't ever arrive. We're always arriving. This is a journey. And as you're breaking the bread and drinking the cup, as you're thinking about all that Jesus has done for us so that we can know him, go, God, where do you want to keep growing me? You're trying to grow me in compassion. You're trying to grow me in courage. You're trying to grow me in my commitment to, to lost people into our church. Where are you trying to grow me? Where do I need to grow? And just ask him. The purpose of these scriptures has always been not just for us to gather around these stories. The purpose has not ever been for us just to come and to, to read these stories about the things that God has done long ago. The purpose of the stories is for us to play the game. That these kind of stories are invitations for us into this amazing abundant life with Jesus. And I go, what might God do through us? What might God do through us when we decide to, to, to take our, our playbooks and to start like stepping out on the field? To leave these doors and go, God, help me be courageous this week. Help me be compassionate. Help me be committed. God, what might God do through our lives? Who are the people that their lives, their eternity will be different? because of us and our willingness to be a part of what God's doing in this world. It's always been about playing the game. Let us not settle for just reading the pages. Let's pray.